Hello, and welcome to Structurally Sound, the official podcast of the Institute for Homeland Security here at Sam Houston State University, where you can hear all about what is happening in critical infrastructure industries and leverage some new knowledge, some perspectives to help you and your industry and your business be more secure, more resilient, and more competitive. I'm your host, Grant Threat, a project manager with the Institute, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Michael Asplin, the director at IHS, and Marcus Funk from the Department of Mass Communication here at Sam Houston. We're coming to you from the cozy Studio 310 in the Dan Rather Communications Building on campus at Sam Houston, and we're excited to be talking to you today about a brand new course that we've had under development for a little while that's just become available. This is an exciting course to help critical infrastructure practitioners start thinking about technology threats and opportunities that may not be on their radar yet. Mike, tell us a little more about uh, our guests that we've got with us today and what we have in store for today's show. That was a much better intro than last time, <laughs> just for the record, because I think you said you wanted to improve. So uh -huh. I think we conclude, uh, you know, it was awesome. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, he doesn't know what to do with that, obviously. No. Just yeah. make it forward Just progress. accept the feedback. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Is there an unofficial <laughs> podcast that we do? I, I'm going to make a blooper reel at some point. Okay. Because so. he said the official podcast... And I'm just saying. So. Well, you know, it's uh, it's legit here, so it's uh, it's official. We are trying to be structurally sound. The structure part is important. I feel and like we're working on that. It's yes. a build in progress. Sound we've got, but yes. structure. Understand? Yeah. Sound, Marcus, noise. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Noises, sounds. Yes, we've got it. Marcus, right. my man on the street and producer. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited about this. We talk. You know, I teach journalism here, and we talk about AI and emerging technology within a journalism and media framework, but that's a very different world than business and security and that sort of thing. So blockchain in particular is not a word I use in class very often. So I'm blockhead. Really Do you use blockhead? Sometimes. Yes. Okay. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to introduce a couple of folks who are uh, uh, in studio as it were one via the phone, but uh, one of my uh, colleagues, Rob Crane is here. Rob, welcome. Hello, Mike. That's that was good. You need to <laughs> speak Hello, out. Yeah. Okay, you can do that. Well, you're not John, so the uh, but Rob uh, was one of the first hires uh, uh, that I brought on board. His focus is on energy. Uh, this might sound repetitive because he was uh, in the last episode. So welcome back. Um, for those who like to know behind the scenes view, this actually isn't welcome back. We're actually recording this before we record our interview with him because we'll do that afterwards. But we're going to post those up so it'll appear anyway that we actually interviewed him and then we brought him in to talk about uh, promoting our emerging technology course. So, Rob, uh, people know who you are and I'm going to let you uh, let's let's start with this. We're going to introduce uh, our guest uh, in a minute, Nick Reese, who will be uh, be joining us and talking about his experiences. But why don't you begin with a little backstory on how you met him, what your relationship is, and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Um, yeah, previously uh, to joining uh, the Institute here, I worked for Department of Homeland Security doing space and GPS policy, and um, I was at the National Space Base Positioning, Navigation, and Timing Office was an interagency office that coordinated activities around GPS. And so Nick was uh, on the home front. So I was I was at the Department of Commerce, 
And um, so previously, our Secretary uh, Napolitano had issued the first DHS space policy in early, um, I believe that, when was that, uh, Nick? Was that 2010, 2011? 2011. Yes. And so uh, one of Nick's first tasks there was to update um, uh, the space policy uh, under the uh, Trump administration. And so we had an opportunity to work closely together and there at uh, uh, the department. So, Nick, why don't you uh, take a few well, minutes. Who is Tell us who Nick Reese is. OK. Nick Reese is currently uh, head of Triantha and also Frontier uh, Strategies. He was previously with DHS. He's joint. He was head of uh, director of emerging technology, and uh, at DHS, we contacted and we had some conversations last year. When we thought this was a great opportunity to look forward in the emerging technology space to you know bring professionals and practitioners up to speed on on where things are within critical infrastructure. So, okay, Nick, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Mike, and thanks, Rob, for that introduction. And I just I want to start out by saying that between Grant's uh, melodic introduction and description of the Dan Rather building is cozy, I really feel like I, I am missing out by not being there in person with you guys. I have a view of stuffed leather chairs and, and grapes and cigars. So I hope that's I hope that's really what it looks like. <laughs> Two of three are right. You'll have to figure <laughs> out which is, which it is. Hey, so Nick, you and I met uh, in person, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I guess, and got to have an opportunity to have a, a lunch, I think, or dinner or something. It was the uh, there was Walls, food involved. Walls Barbecue. Mm-hmm. I'll just, you know, unsolicited plug for him. Great spot here in, uh, in Huntsville. But Nick, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself, go into some details and really what I'm always interested to hear are the nail biting stories. You know, what is it that in your career, what are those moments for you? Not, not just, I understand you have degrees and you have a business and you worked here and you worked there, but uh, you know, let's, you told me a few things and hopefully you'll touch on one of those as we kind of get to know you a little bit. So tell us about yourself and some cool stuff. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. So I, you know, as Rob mentioned, you know, I, I really formalized my work in emerging technology as the the first ever director of emerging technology policy at DHS headquarters, where I had the pleasure to work together with Rob. And, uh, and since then I've founded two companies, one is Triantha, one is Frontier Foundry, and uh, we're doing work in consulting, education, but we're also building. So we're actually building artificial intelligence as well. But what I really want to touch on here is what brought me to emerging technology as a policy area, because, you know, unlike things like cybersecurity or or these other very well-established fields, um, emerging technology isn't quite the same. And, And it's something that Rob and I have talked about at length in terms of we want to create a cadre of emerging technology professionals. And there's no better place to start than in critical infrastructure. But I think the more interesting part here is going to be uh, a bit of uh, just a quick a quick sea story. I was in the Navy, so you have to forgive me. I, I tell sea stories. Um, so of, of kind of why, why emerging technology really came to me as such an important aspect of national security and homeland security. So as, as Rob mentioned, I, uh, I was at Department of Homeland Security, but before that, I spent six years in the intelligence community. And specifically, I w- worked at CIA. And in that role... Yeah, make sure make sure uh, everybody who listens to this has the proper security clearance. That would be helpful. So anyway, um, I 
I worked uh, as uh, doing counter narcotics, emphasis on counter narcotics at, in Central America. Pulling on my Navy experience, I looked at kind of the way that narcotics were moving and where they came from in, in, in uh, South America. They moved through Central America into Mexico and then into the United States. And this is a problem that, that many people are intimately familiar with, but the supply side of it was really where I kind of cut my teeth and really started to, to learn about the trade. And so specifically, one of the things that we were doing was uh, interdiction of maritime loads at sea in the Eastern Pacific. And we were doing this all along you know, the, the coast of, of Guatemala, El Salvador, Costa Rica, just kind of all down through there. And there was one particular moment where I remember realizing that we were behind in emerging technology. And that was when we started to, we would, we would find a, 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 an inbound drug-laden panga, a, a boat that would have, have these, you know, multiple ton loads of, of cocaine on it. And Nick, we would can send I, our can assets. I, Nick, before you jump in, so the panga, a panga boat, can you just describe what that is? Because, and then I'll fill in for the listeners. Oh yeah. So, so, it, you know, just, just imagine yourself in one of these things. So it's a, it's an open hauled, uh, you know, sort of speed boat and it, but it's, it's bigger than maybe something you would, you would uh, use oars with, uh, but still not quite big enough to be something you would maybe want to spend a night on. Uh, and what what they would do is they would they would put three to four outboard motors on the back of it and send the 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 pilots on a multiple day open water open ocean journey with with cocaine uh, in the in the in the hull. And uh, every time they would burn up one of the engines, they would just throw it into the ocean and keep right on going. And uh, it was usually a, a trip that took somewhere around two to two and a half days. Would not be something. Would not be where I would want to spend two and a half days. But it, it happens all the time. So what I the reason I wanted you to share that is uh, my as the as I've sh- as I've told folks in the past podcast, I was a law enforcement officer in California, and panga boats uh, over the last five six years of my career started to show up further and further north in California. So they were typically used. By the cartels coming from the Tijuana, Baja, California area up to San Diego, as the Coast Guard increased patrols and were intercepting those boats, they started sending them further out to sea and further north. So if you're familiar, if for the listeners, if you're familiar with San, where San Francisco is, which is uh, in a vehicle from L.A. to San Francisco is eight hours, uh, 10 hours if you're coming up from San Diego we had panga boats showing up in Monterey Bay, which is an hour south of San Jose. And as time has gone on, they continue to move up, go further and further north. So this is a, and a couple of times they die. I mean, open, this is open. It's just open. There's no protection from anything. So, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but I think it was you know, just to give context to, to your, to your story. So please continue. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you mentioned that because you know actually it, it connects really well with the work that we were doing there at the time. And just to give folks an idea, I mean, the the most common way that this would happen is in places like Ecuador or Colombia, uh, you would have cartel members approach just regular fishermen in in these ports and basically say, you know, I'll pay you a thousand quetzales to drive this to uh, Guatemala or we kill your family. 
And so these these people took the thousand quetzales and and they would they would make this trip. And you know, in 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 previous time when we would when we would catch them, you know, there was no fight or anything. They just put their hands up and said, "Okay, you got us," uh, because it wasn't really their it wasn't really their cocaine, right? They weren't invested. They were kind of coerced into doing it, but. What started to happen was we we would detect a boat, we would we would send our assets, we would send aircraft, we would send speedboats, all these things to interdict, and we would get to the boat and there was no cocaine on it, and we were we were not pretty sure, really sure that there was cocaine on it before, and it turned out after after a while we realized that what was happening was they were attaching uh, GPS enabled buoys to the cocaine load. And as soon as they would hear, you know, a, a, you know, an interdiction force or something coming close, they would just throw it in the water and it floats. And we would roll up on them, couldn't do anything, couldn't couldn't hold them, couldn't do anything with them. And then they would track back to the cocaine load, pick it back up out of the water and keep right on going. And there was definitely a moment where I realized they are moving forward in emerging technology and it is changing how they are doing their business. And it's requiring us to react. Whereas before we had a, a little bit of the advantage, now we were we were in the reaction mode. And that was where I realized that emerging tech is something that not, it doesn't just reflect in your newest iPhone. It is something that, you know, non-state actors like cartels or or nation state adversaries or even criminals are going to use to make the good guys have to uh, rethink or react in their business. And that was what really drew me in to the emerging technology space. And it just grew from there as I got the position at DHS. What I really appreciate is that rec- I mean, that to you was a career changer, a life changer, or a professional path changer, if you will. I know that coming from law enforcement, you could, uh, when I think about emerging tech, uh, very rudimentary is that when I was working in the nineties, the gangsters carried the weapons. Well, since they, we learned to search the the gangsters, what did they do? They gave it to their girlfriends who put it in their purses. They just moved where that technology in this case, weapons were being hidden. So I, and I think that's a good point that it's not just about the iPhone, but it's about other types of physical technology, whether it's going back to how it used to be in some way. Uh, I know that in, a conversation for those that listened to our first uh, discussion on Gaza, they talked about how they were likely did not use any electronic forms for communication, but went back to the old school way of passing notes through couriers. So um, what I'd like to do is kick it over to Rob and let you, the two of you kind of have a conversation here. We're, we're going to talk, we'll talk about the course that you guys developed to the end, towards the end of this, but I'd, I'd really like to just hear from the two of you as you focus on what are those maybe three or four specific areas of emerging tech that folks need to be thinking about or aware of. So Rob, I'll just turn it over to you. Well, Nick and I, you know, initially we were looking at uh, the global positioning system uh, and how that's so much um, uh, that capability uh, is, is embedded in our, you know, critical infrastructure, but in our, even our daily uh, lives. And so when we were looking at it, you know, it took 50 years to develop this capability Originally established as a military uh, solution, it became available to you know for the civil community, and it's embedded throughout our 
critical infrastructure and again, our daily lives. And so, you know, if we were to look out another, you know, 10, 20 years, what are those technologies that are underdeveloped now? I mean, quantum has its origins in the 60s and 70s, but it hasn't necessarily, you know, it's not not the bedrock of our, our um, technology today. So what Nick and I would like to to see is more engagement looking forward. So Nick, from your perspective, you gave us a great background of how, you know, you got, you, you know, the fire behind emerging technology. What what are the key areas that you see uh, us going forward within the critical infrastructure and emerging technology? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rob. And, I, you know, I think one of the things we're really seeing right now that I, I am really excited about is looking at critical infrastructure in a, in a very different way. And so I think, you know, Rob, when, when we were working together at DHS, you know, you could you could see and, and oftentimes feel kind of this this big difference between kind of the very traditional DOD type mission, uh, especially with innovators, right? So, you know, there's a there's a well-defined defense industrial base, but there's not a homeland security industrial base. There are these very well-defined, you know, kind of defense programs for AI and other innovation, but there's not the same thing at the Department of Homeland Security. And so one of the things that that was that was, you know, always kind of I always felt like I was, you know, we were kind of standing in the back of the room, jumping up and down, was saying, hey, critical infrastructure needs this kind of innovation. We need not a, a solution that, you know, the army developed three years ago for an army purpose that we're going to try and fit the square peg into the round hole in for critical infrastructure, but things that are purpose built. And so I think first, the thing that's I'm really excited about is that we're starting to focus more on resilience and we're starting to focus more on critical infrastructure than we have in the past. And I think we have Vladimir Putin to thank for that because he has really, through the, the Russia-Ukraine conflict, he's, you know, Russia has, has really put a lot of effort into disrupting and denying critical infrastructure in Ukraine. That has really displayed and shown everyone that it's vulnerable. And, you know, I definitely remember early on in my time in DHS when, you know, we would go to interagency meetings and we put our hands up and say, hey, what about critical infrastructure? And, you know, we, we would get kind of the side eye or someone would from the back of the room would say, hey, shut up, nerd. And we would have to kind of, you know, walk it back a little bit. But I, I'm really excited that Was that's that, where hold we're going. Hold on, hold on. Was it just like that? Shut up, nerd. Was it like yeah, that? Yeah, it, it was. It was like from the back of the room, right? So it was like kind of muffled, but so you you can you can definitely get the vibe, right? I can make that a sound effect. Shut up, nerd! <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what's going to happen after this? You're going to cut my voice into oh, a no. into a new soundbite? I, I hope would so. never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, nerd! Maybe yes. Uh, but but just you know just just to finish the thought, I you know I think the aspects of innovation on on critical infrastructure and and both on the vulnerabilities but also on the opportunity side is is definitely what I'm the most uh, excited about and and why I'm so excited that we're able to bring this course to the San Houston State community. Right. Well, thanks um, for that perspective. I know you hit on a couple of key points about the resilience and critical infrastructure. Um, and we just had Cyber Awareness Week, uh, Month, and now we're into Critical Infrastructure Month. And, and you know, with this convergence technology as well. So from your perspective, how does this whole space and user community within the critical infrastructure, how does that all converge? What's, what's your thoughts there? That's exactly the right question to ask because 
This is something that I experienced uh, when I was in my position at DHS. And what really motivated me to found Triantha was we could see the convergence of different technologies, whether we're talking about something like quantum or we're talking about AI, you know, or in data, or we're talking about municipal IoT or any of these things that touch our critical infrastructure. I could see it. And Rob, I know you could see it. And I know a lot of people in our kind of merry band could see it. But it was not always obvious to to everyone, to decision makers, to to users, to even even sometimes to innovators. And so, I, you know, when I when I created Trianta, I really wanted to bring uh, the you know kind of the upskilling education around emerging technology to uh, to everyone. And so, you know, one of my 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 thesis for some of this is it's no longer sufficient for you know the the policy people to just be policy people and the technology people to just be technology people. We really can't do that anymore. Now we have to have more of an understanding of, of AI, of quantum. Now, maybe you don't need to actually be, be a coder, but you do need to understand why these things are so impactful. And so I, I, I you know, as we're talking about convergence, I think it's the, the education piece has to come first. And then once we've done that, we will have created a, you know, in this case, a, a critical infrastructure workforce that can recognize when they see convergence and how that might impact the mission. Nick, I want to jump in here. This is Mike. The you you've you've mentioned policy, and then you've met mentioned this crossover to technology. I think that there's a huge gap uh, in people like to go for the bright and shiny. They want to do the button pushing. They want to get the piece of equipment, but we don't do a good job of thinking about policy first and then developing solutions that follow. And in some ways, it's the tail wagging the dog. And you're kind of speaking my language here because uh, if, if I, in the education space, if I could get students to understand the vision, mission, value drivers, strategic initiatives, those high-level structural organizational uh, initiatives as they do their education, to me, it's that's a exponential benefit when they leave, if they have that ability to think through those things. I'm going to turn to uh, Grant and uh, Marcus for any comments or additions there. Cause they all been, by the way, everyone's scribbling while you're talking and it's not writing funny pictures. Not entirely. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Nick, we, I, I first uh, met you, you were given a, uh, you were part of a panel discussion and talking about this uh, subject earlier this year. And I, I remember it. It just was was so eye opening to me, and I thought, um, you know, I haven't had enough coffee to be ready to be uh, able to to intake all of this. But you know, just talking about the potential for um, quantum computing and, and what the threats are. I, you know, my, myself, I'm I come from an engineering background. I love technology and you know, Internet of Things. Um, you mentioned also in the municipal setting. You know, it's like that shiny, um, you know, object. It, you know, let's integrate some technology. Let's increase efficiency. Um, you know, yeah, let's let's go for some of these solutions. But but you you brought kind of a, a, a wake up call of reality of where that introduces vulnerabilities. Um, you know, that I, I think is easy to look past. And so, you know, I I just echoing. Uh, kind of what you were saying as far as the importance of the education piece. I think it's it's raising the awareness. 
about all the entry points for, um, you know, vulnerabilities and, and whatnot. Well, and it's, it's a perspective as much as it is anything else. I mean, you're speaking my language too here, talking about education and resilience, because I feel like the, the bad guys, quote unquote, are always going to be one or two steps ahead of the good guys, you know, whether those are drug smugglers or, you know, adversarial nations or whatever it is, the tools to deceive, inveigle and obfuscate are always going to be a step or two ahead of uh, the tools to detect that. And I teach the media literacy class here at SAM, and I can give students AI detection tools and say you can upload it, you know, upload to this website and it'll tell you if it's, you know, the likelihood of AI generation. And we have tools that can detect the likelihood of chat GPT, which really bedevils some of our students because we can actually tell pretty effectively if something is AI generated or not. But you know, the next AI software is going to be more advanced, might be able to dodge those. And we have to be able to teach that that patience and that perspective and that resilience because because that's what it is. It comes down to attitude. You know, if people look at this and they've got that shut up nerd attitude, then they're going to get shut up nerd. <laughs> they're going to get deceived by all this, you know, whereas if we have a sort of a patient, resilient perspective on all of it, then no matter where the technology goes, we can adapt to that. And I think that's what's really critical here. Is Shut Up Nerd going to be the title of this episode? Tell me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Working title, anyway. Yeah. We can all do it together. Ready? One, two, three. Shut, shut up, up, nerd. Nerd. <laughs> nerd. Uh, no, I, I – so I, 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 really, I really appreciate, you know, the comments there because – you know, we're really we're really at an interesting time, you know, talking about technology. And one of the one of the things that I really you know ingrained in my team when I was still at, at DHS was, you know, when we're talking about technology, there's a can you question, but there's also a should you question. And that really gets into kind of like technology governance, which is its own its own ball of wax here. But I mean, I think we should be having conversations about not just like, can this thing integrate into our system? Does it have the security that we want, right? That's all the can I use it question. But also the should we? Does it make sense? I remember having conversations with people at DHS that would say, you know, we just need a little AI. And I would kind of say, uh, can you can you can you elaborate on that? We just need yeah, a little you know, AI. Just, just add <laughs> some AI to it, like you're that's how like Skynet starts. Your chicken, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> sorry, we we're like totally talking over. You made us all laugh with. We just need a little little AI. And Marcus said, yeah, hey, yeah, that's, that's, how- that's what I tell him. You know, like like we're adding seasoning to a stew or something, right? Just put a little put a little cumin in there, right? I'd be so back. I, <laughs> so I, I think it's Shut I think up, it's. <laughs> I think it's 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 having to to have those conversations about should we and and recognizing and, and to answer those should we question we have to answer things like convergence questions and to answer convergence questions we need to be able to understand why this technology is different and what impact it will have and, it, and again at the core it's that education piece. Can I ask a real specific question about AI? Hey, we've got a caller on line three, <laughs> man on the street, Marcus. Welcome to the show. So in my classes, in my audio production class, I have students play with AI audio and create their own, you know, voice clone or their own synthesized audio. And I've done it myself as well. I call it the funk bot. The funk bot always slays. It's it's really cool. Um, Mike's rolling his eyes, but he loves it. He, he just doesn't want to admit it. Can I get a T-shirt that says the funk bot always slays? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Structurally yes, sound merch. <laughs> and shut up, nerd on the back, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
No, I want to hear more from the funk pop. Well, we, in the in those classes, immediately. Do you want to beat on the background while you're doing this? Absolutely. Right, I ahead. totally do that. So in those classes, we talk about how there's some conversation, some possibility of some sort of digital watermark being added to artificial intelligence to make it always stand out, to make it really clear. Because right now, if somebody sees an image or hears audio, like, if you know me, you can tell that this is the Funkbot speaking right now. This is an artificially generated voice clone speaking. And if you're listening closely, you can tell there's sort of an uncanny valley thing going on. It, it doesn't quite sound like me. But if you've never heard me before or you're in a rush, you could be forgiven for thinking it was actually me. And I'm wondering, like, on a technical level, what does artificial intelligence detection look like in the future? And does that connect to blockchain at all? I hate it that we're going down these rabbit trails, but I want to hearken back to when cameras became digital. And I remember as a police officer, the challenges saying, how do you know it's an actual picture? And this goes back to the, what, 80s? And so this conversation has been happening for decades. It seems to me it's a lot more legitimate now than it was when digital cameras first came out. Rob, I know I'm gonna. I, I've been sending Rob notes like, all right, let's move on to the next thing, and he's <laughs> he can't get a poor word in edgewise. So I'm gonna let's move this thing forward because yeah. there's more stuff yeah. to talk about here. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, Nick, I think you're gonna be coming back for another episode. By the way, just so so we're clear on that. I can't wait. Awesome. Shut up, awesome. nerd. <laughs> this is our well, the mini series. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I I know we rolled out our first. Um, a phase of the uh, Emerging Technology for Critical Infrastructure course. Give us a little bit of your uh, insight into the, the quantum and blockchain. Those are the first two that we're going to tackle. And then we'll go – and then add at the end, you know, kind of the future, um, you know, talk about AI, Web3, space systems. To to Marcus's point, especially around AI, your perspective, give us just a little snippet of, of each of these that uh, – uh, that uh, you know, professionals and practitioners out there, and uh, would would have uh, kind of a little teaser here. Yeah, perfect. And so, so I think the first the first thing I want listeners to to hear here is is context. So that's number one. The every every innovation, every new emerging technology is being developed in within some kind of context. And you know, I don't want to give away too much because I want people to take the course. But you know, we're emerging technology has broad implications for. Geo geopolitics, uh, global strategy, things like this. And you can see it in the priorities and policies of major nations. You can see different executive orders in the, in the United States that prioritize artificial intelligence. One actually just came out. So we're, we're seeing the prioritization of emerging technology on a state level. And, and there's a lot more to unpack there. But a great example of, of exactly that is quantum computing. And quantum computing is also a, a perfect example of a truly emerging technology, something that is not in wide use right now, but is, is garnering a lot of investment and a lot of big brains who are working to create a, a quantum computer that we can use for the purposes that we already know it can do, because people who are way better at math than me have already proven it. But once we get a quantum computer of sufficient capacity, it's called a cryptographically relevant quantum computer, and we'll talk about what that means. Once that happens, 
we now have not just an, imp- an impressive wait, wait, wait. piece That's of That's where the sound of an airplane flying overhead, because that just flew right over the top of me, should be. In there, so. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get back to it. The, the plane's going to circle around. So, um, <laughs> Overshot the <laughs> runway, coming around for a second attempt. Yeah. So, uh, so once once we have that, you're going to see not just an impressive piece of emerging technology, but also an implement of state power. And so the reason that quantum is so important is because it is going to be able to break asymmetric encryption algorithms that we use right now for things like HTTPS, um, sending encrypted uh, emails, things like that. So this is asymmetric cryptography that's based on uh, factorization, right? Prime number factorization. So right now, a current computer or, or even supercomputer would take, and this is not an exaggeration, literal billions of years to break that encryption. But because of how a quantum computer is built, it will be able to do it in a few minutes. And so it would. this will be tantamount to all of your traffic, internet traffic, financial transactions, everything just being transmitted in the clear. And so that is obviously a huge advantage. It's also a huge innovation. And so we want critical infrastructure uh, operators and professionals to understand that as quantum computing advances, you're getting closer and closer to a vulnerability to your mission. And it does matter that you know why a bit and a qubit are different and why that and why that matters to your mission set. So that's really what we wanted to bring to the uh, audience for the quantum computing piece of the course. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, you used a few terms that are new for probably mis- many of our, our listeners, but, you know, as lifelong learners, we all take deeper dives into uh, these uh, subject matters. So like blockchain, t- give, you know, we, we've had some conversations with the energy sector. We've seen blockchain mostly still in development. We, we Here in Texas, we, we actually have a, te- a Texas blockchain uh, council. It has the support of state legislature and 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 so forth. So give us a little bit of overview of, of where you see blockchain. And define what it is first, please. As the plane, Absolutely. as the plane so, flies over my head again. <laughs> so, uh, so blockchain is a distributed ledger system uh, that that is based on connecting. So we, we think about it as transactions, right? Because because of Bitcoin, but but kind of the whole thesis of the course is that it's not just about financial transactions. It's not just about cryptocurrency. It's a, it is an efficient way to mark things down to keep track of things electronically without having the ability to kind of uh, tamper with it or change it without without people on the ledger are knowing that. So basically, blockchain is a distributed ledger system that uh, has uh, hashing, cryptographic hashing involved. Um, and so every block, you know, it's not just a catchy name. Every block has a cryptographic hash and, and a record of whatever it is that that transpired. So let's say Mike borrowed my lawnmower. So I could I could mark down on my ledger, Mike borrowed my lawnmower on this date and time, and he's got it. Well, then Mike is going to sell it know, on eBay. Out. Right, sell it on eBay. You know, and, and and so let's okay, let's go with that. Let's say he sells it on eBay. So now, right, we he, we could mark on the same blockchain that my lawnmower has been sold to Grant on on eBay. And those transactions are actually connected. And in order to be able to to change it, you would have to one know the cryptographic hash for both of those transactions, 
And two, uh, you would have to own enough of the of the network, as in all of us, all of us are computers, our nodes on the network. We would have to own enough of the network to validate that transaction. So when you hear about um, you know the distribution, the distributed nature of blockchain, it means that the ledger doesn't exist in one place. It exists on all of our computers. So if any one of us gets pulled offline, if any one of us gets corrupted, it doesn't disrupt the entire ledger. So, so the point is, sorry, that's real quick. great. Go ahead. Can I just ask a, a clarity question? Man on the streets back. <laughs> Good. In practice, that means that the record is basically unerasable, right? Like that, the record of that, of Mike borrowing it and then selling it on eBay to Grant, that can't be purged or expunged. That's going to be visible to anybody. Right. That's, that's correct. Okay. So that's why we're all looking at it. The distributed nature means we're all looking at it. And then the hash codes are basically going back in time to connect each one of the blocks. So again, not just a catchy name, it is a chain of blocks or a blockchain. So when we're, when, when we're looking at this, we, we, you know, you can see why this would be useful for financial transactions, but you can also see why it would be useful for other things. And that is kind of the thesis of the course is to say, okay, here's what the technology is. And then here are things that are not cryptocurrency that it can also be used for. And one of the areas that, um, you know, I've, I've learned more about is the smart contracts very much in international trade, how you could actually have someone here in the United States order something from overseas, and then everything is transacted into a single record. You may have 200 different transactions. So uh, we'll look forward to that, that next conversation. I think, uh, Nick, you were at that point where we just want to do a quick summary if you, you know, and, and I'll turn it back to Mike to kind of, you know, close it up. But uh, any closing thoughts on your, your end to um, inspire? Well, let uh, me, let me yeah. ask a little bit different way, which is who should take this class and what are they going to get out of it from, and maybe you could address it as a college student, as a, from three perspectives, right? Uh, who should take the class and what are they going to get out of it? One is a college student. If they're just trying to expand their knowledge, what is what is that? Two would be your somebody who's out there in the work world. Maybe they're five years in and looking to position themselves for the next step. And then three for the managers or executive leaders. What, what's the relevance for each of those stages of uh, professional work life? First, for the for the kind of undergraduate student, I think you know you're you're going to go and you're going to get a, a a degree, and that degree is going to be in you know any any number of fields, and you're going to get great skills you know through through thinking through that through you know going through that entire process. But taking a course like this is going to give you kind of that secret sauce, that little bit extra that is going to make you stand out. So you know I I have a sociology undergrad. There's a lot of sociology undergrads out there, but sociology undergrads who also have, say, a certificate in emerging technology from San Houston State, not so many of those. And so you're able to really differentiate yourself, especially when you're early in your career. And it's something that is going to be uh, more future-proof than a lot of uh, other certificates or, or other add-ons you might do. And so if you understand quantum computing and you add that to your repertoire, that's something that you'll carry with you through your entire career and doing it as an undergrad is a perfect moment. So for the kind of five-year professional, 
So this is kind of the, the professional who, you know, is out of college, who is, you know, has worked some time in the industry, has started to develop interest, started to develop a path. And this kind of upskilling is, is really what I'm the most passionate about because it's what really creates, you know, a, a, a culture of continuous learning. It creates a, a skilled workforce in your particular organization, and it brings real mission value. Because all of a sudden, you'll be the one that people point to and say, hey, there's some AI thing we need to worry about. Hey, so-and-so, you did an AI certificate, right? And all of a sudden, you are the AI person. And that's, that's a great position to be in. And I hope everyone listening is excited about that prospect. Okay, so I got to jump in because when I was at Naval Postgraduate School, uh, we had there was a counter-tunneling cross a transnational counter tunneling conference in San Diego and people asked who wanted to go. No one raised their hand. I said, yes, I wound up going to three subsequent events and was later introduced to an admiral as the counter tunneling expert for <laughs> the defense analysis department for the Naval postgraduate school. And I wrote that on my resume. So what you just said you what what do we say here at IHS? We yes. were asked to do well. Let me finish. Oh, sorry. Shut up, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> we're losing control here. What, okay, hey, Slaves. would you guys like to do this? And what do we say? Yes. Yeah, you're supposed to chime in too, Rob. Oh, you hesitate. Yes. No, take. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's try. Let's try this again. So, if we're asked to do something, what do we say? Yes. yes. Thank you. Holy smokes! I don't understand. Don't edit that out. Oh I no. Need for their <laughs> annual evaluation, I, I, I am an objective journalist. I don't edit anything. You're not objective. You know, so. I'm, I'm leaving this all. Actually, okay. I, I was wondering, could say journalism and mass communication professors at SAM take this class? Because I could work this into several of my classes potentially. Well, absolutely. I think this is this is perfect, you know, because it, it broadens the scope. And Nick's perspective, even though there's some technical in it, it's it's not that nerdy. It's really laid out in a user forum, and it really has an appeal. It's really well done. It's one of our better uh, courses that we've been able to do. So I think that we would love, and we would like to hear their feedback too. Yeah. So if you have somebody that wants to log on, take it, give us some feedback, and and we want to make it better. So uh, it's a another. it's an online class. It's not like a be in Huntsville at a certain time class. On, online, yes. Okay. And and wait, he hasn't answered the third. Part of the question. Ah. Nick, finish up. Uh, that, the was that it? Did we talk about right. the executive? executives? Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 We'll what, once your hair starts to recede, what what do they need to worry about? <laughs> All right. Perfect. No, so uh, so the um, for for executives, this is actually the reason that I wanted to do this kind of work was because I was dealing with executives who, you know, to their credit, I mean, understood that this was an issue, but didn't quite have enough depth to be able to pull the trigger on, you know, a, a project or, or a procurement or, you know, any, any number of things. And so I think as an executive, you know, you really sit at the, at the center of your, your teams, your company's uh, culture and, and it's, you know, kind of its motivation. And so if, if one, you're, you can show that all the way at the executive level, we're taking this seriously, that alone is going to translate into mission success for you. But second, if you are taking this course and someone comes to you and says, hey, I have this AI solution, you can start to ask not just the can we, but the should we question. And that is really going to be a tremendous mission value just across your enterprise. 
Okay, thanks for that, uh, Nick. It's been uh, it's been great uh, having you here on the show, and and to Rob, um, you know, I think we've we've got a little bit of taste, and um, you know, just some of the potential and excitement. Wait, you just said a little bit of taste. He just started open with cocaine. And now you're giving out a little bit, a little taste. Yeah, just a little taste. That's all. (laughs) You know, but wait, there's more. There's a, yeah. So, so you can, you can find out more about this emerging technology course at our website, ihsonline.org. Click on the training tab or search for emerging technology. Mike, would would it be okay for our listeners out there in uh, podcast land that we offer uh, access to this course for free? We can set up a coupon code in the show notes. Well, what should that code be? I think we all know. I think we already know. Shut Shut up, nerd! nerd. (laughs) (laughs) You notice the nerd always trailed both times that we did this. Of course, you didn't have the advantage of me one, two, threeing down there, Nick. No, we're not going to do that as the executive director. I don't want to be entering shut up nerd on a website. So we'll just call it podcast. That's sure. Yeah. We'll We'll, we'll, we'll keep it simple, folks. So if you're listening and if you want to take advantage of this at no cost, all you got to do is enter the coupon code podcast. And you'll have the opportunity to access this information. And it's is it available like in a particular window, or is it just it's online? You can take it whenever. Correct. Yeah, it's it's a. He asked you an either or, and then you said correct. It's asynchronous. It's available online. Go at your own pace, and uh, you you can uh, take care of this learning opportunity when and where you're uh, able to do it. All right. So with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Structurally Sound, where, as you probably experienced, we are disruptive, but helpful. So I hope everyone has a great day. Thank you, Rob, for being here. Thanks, Nick, for being here. Thanks to Marcus for supporting us and all the sound effects that will be woven into this thing as we go forward. Nick, I'm going to give you the last word. Anything you'd like to say before we call it a podcast? Really excited for the next one. So excited for the podcast and excited for the next course as well. Great. Thank you very much. And thanks again to Sam Houston State University, to the Mass Communication Department, uh, and to the Criminal Justice Center for uh, supporting this. And I hope everybody has a great day. Take care. Bye-bye. Structurally Sound is the podcast for the Institute for Homeland Security at Sam Houston State University. It is supported by the College of Criminal Justice and the Mass Communication Department. Our hosts are Michael Aspland, Grant Threet, and Marcus Funk, who also produces and edits the show. Our music was written by Kevin Clifton, and the artwork was created by the Idea Factory, part of the Department of Art at Sam Houston State. Additional support comes from Shannon Lane, Rose Cater, Charles Henson's, and enthusiastic Bearcats everywhere. Shut up, nerd!